This is Solo Round number one. You love it. You are great at it. The world needs it. You are paid for it. In this program, we go deep to get answers to essential questions and learn how to develop key skills to live a life that moves you. This is the Beyond the Surface Podcast. Welcome to Beyond the Surface Podcast from Seattle. And this is my first solo round, a series I'll be experimenting with once in a while in between episodes with guests. Alongside this podcast, I also maintain a self-actualization blog where I document my quest and research on a variety of topics for personal development. In this episode, I'll be going over seven different ideas that will help you increase your productivity and performance. Topics include how to become a better learner, strategies to avoid distraction and procrastination, and an approach to setting goals and achieving them. Finally, at the end of the episode, I'll be answering a series of rapid-fire questions I usually ask my guests, but this time to share how I work and my outlook in life. Enjoy. And thanks again for tuning in for this first solo round. The first topic we're going to cover is a minimalist approach to self-learning which I call the listen-only mode. A common problem when learning new concepts and ideas with heavy content is falling asleep or getting distracted. That's why sometimes I just prefer to just listen. The key concept here is that the key to maximizing reception during long self-learning sessions is to simplify the experience. Unlike other formats, audio requires the least amount of energy from all of our senses to process new information. In contrast, a video is too demanding because it requires you to watch and listen. That's why I avoid watching videos unless it's absolutely necessary to understand the material. And while reading does not require listening, we still need to hold a book or scroll down to read more. The most important thing is that the audio is convenient to consume on the move, it helps maintain high levels of energy and concentration when we combine learning with moderate exercise, such as walking or jogging. Then if you have a high tendency, like me, to distract, something common in our increasingly digitalized lifestyle, breaking with the computer or mobile screen facilitates concentration. So think about that time that you were watching a video on your phone or your computer but then there is competing activities trying to get your attention, especially if you have those notifications on. Now that makes concentrating on something really hard. You don't want to be switching back and forth different tasks. Listening only works best for self-learning when you do not have to worry about other heavy activities like driving in traffic or crossing streets. So it's, per it's best first to find a safe place where you can spend passively on everything else and simply focus on what you're listening to. On this same topic of learning better, the next thing I wanted to cover is how you can learn better by teaching. If you want to master what you learn, a learning and productivity expert, Elliot Massey says, teach it to someone else. He wrote that in an article for Chief Learning Officer magazine. All the links to the research and the articles that I'm mentioning will be on the show notes and I will be sharing the link at the end of the episode. 
back to the what I was saying is when we approach learning something new, knowing that we will have to explain it to others, we're most likely to be more active and engaged in mastering the new content. The moment we take something we learn to explain it to someone, we go through an internal process. We try to simplify the content by restating it in our own words, sometimes even sketching diagrams to facilitate the transfer of knowledge. Then as we teach and listen to ourselves, we clarify what we learn and feel more confident and about what we know. Paraphrasing Elliot, teaching creates a post-learning experience that cements the new content. To make teaching to learn a regular practice in your life, here's some ideas you can try. Start a blog or podcast to share what you learn, like I'm doing right now. You can also join a Toastmaster club where you can practice public speaking and then a book club or a study group or organize a lunch and learn with friends or colleagues at work. Any of these ideas will put you in front of someone you can teach. Moving into the next idea for learning is what I call an inefficient note-taking approach to become a better learner. During my life, I switched back and forth between taking notes by hand or typing them on a laptop. Now, the case for taking notes on a laptop includes being able to take more notes and find them faster later. That's usually why people ended up switching from writing their notes manually to typing them. But a note-taking study suggests that if your goal is to be a better learner, you may want to ditch the laptop and go back to writing your notes by hand. The cons of typing your notes is its efficiency because we can type faster than we can write. It's tempting to skip to skip on understanding the content and instead rely on transcribing everything word by word for later review. But on the other hand, transcribing what someone is saying by hand is more difficult. So you're forced to process the content in a shorter format to keep up. You must be fully engaged in prioritizing and summarizing top concepts and ideas in your own words. So in short, it's a more advanced brain application that's going on behind the scenes. Finally, typing your notes on a device with internet access might even end up distracting you from paying attention and taking notes altogether. So while typing your notes is more efficient, writing your notes on paper is much more effective to learn. Now here is the next series of ideas that I'm going to be sharing are on strategies to avoid distraction and procrastination. I reached a point in my life where I began to feel depressed, tired, and sick from information overload. In my search for help on the internet, I found a simple tool that helped me decide which kind of information I needed to filter out from my life. The model that I'm about to explain to you categorizes information in four quadrants based on sentiment and usefulness. So what I'm looking at right now is a cross. On the top of the cross, it says useful. At the bottom of the cross, it says useless. On the right side, it says positive. And on the left side of the cross, it's negative. So for example, in the upper right quadrant of this cross, you'll have things that are information that is useful and positive. So you're looking at books, education, or podcasts like this one. Then on the second quadrant, which is on the upper left of the cross, you have things, uh, information that is useful, but it's negative. So that's usually the news that affect you directly. Then at the bottom 
or the bottom left of the cross, you have information that is useless and negative. Now, this an example of this is news that you can't do anything about. Finally, on the bottom right quadrant, you have information that's positive but useless. And that's like usually social media and viral videos. The part that was hard for me to digest is the idea of ignoring the quadrant that's negative and useless, which are the, for example, news I can't do anything about. But it was not until I read an essay by German author Rolf Dobelli that I started to gain a new perspective around the topic. He explains that if the world were twice as big, there would be more news we wouldn't learn about. In theory, whether we avoid some news or not, we are already missing some news anyways. Then passively consuming the news does nothing to improve the world. Instead, he says, uh, this German author, that it makes us vulnerable to letting shallow breaking news shape our views. If you think about it, most social and global issues are so complex that require a deeper investigation to understand them. So one can either have a half-informed opinion about everything or fully understand some issues and be a more constructive member of society. To recap, whether we choose to filter the news or not, there will always be news that we miss. In the same way, even if we decide to avoid the news entirely, there will always be big news that we will learn about anyways through word of mouth. We live in a world of unlimited information, but that doesn't mean that we should consume more and more of it. That's exhausting. The model that I just shared with you offers a great solution to overcome information overload and regain new time, energy, and mental space in your life. To see this model, it will be included in the show notes of this episode. And I will be sharing the link at the end of the, the, the program. Another part that I wanted to cover is that super powerful computer that you have in your pocket. It is incredibly addicting the more and more you use it. And as the apps and the operating system gets better, the more likely you are to grab that phone more often throughout the day. So I wanted to share six tactics that will help you turn your iPhone into a distraction-free device. Now, while this advice is specifically on iPhone, I want you to still pay attention to the concepts between these tactics because I am sure that you will be able to figure out how to do that in other smartphone devices. I would be shocked if you can do the majority of these things in other devices. So the iPhone is so fast and convenient for many daily tasks, we perceive it as a utility. But when we end up using it too much, there is a fine line where it plays to be more of a distraction. Now I'm gonna share a quote from Johnny Ive, Apple Chief's design officer. During an interview, he said, like any tool, referring to the iPhone, you can see there is wonderful use and then there is misuse. In my pursuit to gain more time, I set myself to reverse engineer my phone to have more control of it. The reason I started using my phone more is because a better and more addicting mobile user experience. So to break this destructive pattern of distraction, I, I made some changes on how I use my iPhone. Over the course of a year, the tactics I shared have forced me to be more mindful of my time in front of the glowing, in front of the glowing uh, pocket screen. So I invite you to experiment with the recommendations 
that I'm about to share and see if they help you as much as they've helped me. The first recommendation is put all apps in one folder. In the past, I opened my phone for one thing and I ended up doing something completely different as soon as I unlocked it. Most of the time due to a new red batch notification on another app. I'm referring to that little circle, that little red circle that shows up on the upper right side of every app that has this addicting effect on users. You see that red batch, <laughs> you know you're there. So now that I have all the apps in one folder and on a third screen, meaning that when I unlock my iPhone, I see absolutely nothing. I have to, I made it inconvenient for me to see apps as soon as I unlock my phone. So I actually have to swipe left to see this third screen. Then I only access apps by sweeping down to search for the app that I want to use. So unless I recently access the app, I have to I have to type its name to find it. This extra step creates a inconvenience that helps me keep my phone sessions on task. I have to be intentional about what I'm going to open my phone for, and I help myself do that by searching it instead of simply tapping on things. So the second tactic is disable almost all notifications. You gotta be thoughtful about the notifications you let on. For example, I only have show on lock screen and show on history notifications for calls, texts, and messenger. Then I have my phone on silent most of the day, and I only enable sound notifications when I'm waiting for a call. When I check my phone, I deal with new notifications without unlocking the screen when possible. But note that notifications in the lock screen only show up once. Sometimes to view a notification, I have to unlock my phone. In those cases, I can still see earlier notifications by swiping down the notification screen. That's why I also have that show on history feature on. Now, this may be a little difficult to follow, but you know, once you get a chance, if these tactics seem interesting to you, I highly recommend that you go to the show notes of this episode, take some time reading these tactics, and start playing around with your phone to get a better sense of what I'm talking about. The third tactic is to restrict access to Safari. Now, just hold on, it's not as extreme as it sounds. I actually shared this tactic with a friend and he freaked out. He's like, what, you block internet access? Now we're just talking about Safari. So Safari is the web browser of Apple, it's the default. And by this tactic I'm assuming, or I'm also recommending that you do not install other, all other web browsers. So just, just Safari. So the access to a web browser on the go, like Safari, can be beneficial from time to time. I've used it many times, but to prevent myself from mindlessly surfing the web, I decided to disable it. Now you can do this by going to your settings and then general, and then there should be a tab called restrictions. Now the truth is I can still access the web by sending myself a link on the Messenger app, which is a Facebook message application as when I share links within a message there, it opens links in its own browser. But it's so inconvenient <laughs> that it actually did the job in keeping me from surfing the web on my phone less. Tactic number four is turn off mail from all accounts. I have my personal and work email accounts installed, but I use them only to sync with the calendar and contacts app. Then I have mail in the account setting off. I only check mail when I am in front of a computer in a scheduled blocks of time. If somebody has an emergency, 
and needs to get a hold of me, I always tell them to text me. Then if I have to access my mail on the go because of an emergency, I can always temporarily turn mail back on. But my policy for checking email is twice per day, not on my phone, at 11 and then again at 3 p.m. Finally, I never check an email more than once because I deal with them the first time. Meaning, when I see an email, I either delete it, I respond, or I add it to my to-do list. I don't just scan it and then scan it again later in the day. That wastes time. I call these schedule blocks for checking my email, email processing times for a reason. Tactic number five, delete all entertainment apps. By entertainment, I'm referring to social media apps or video apps like YouTube. Now going back to the information overload and the quadrant that I share, I did this to eliminate any information that while it may be positive, is really useless. These types of apps can send you into a mindless browsing spiral because they're the most distracting and addicting of all. When I had them, I found myself checking my phone at meetings, social events, and during meals too many times. When you're not alone, hey, it's better for you and those around you to be present. Tactic number six, revert display to grayscale, which is almost like revert to grayscale, meaning only using black and white, uh, a shade of black and white colors. And if you don't have that, black and white will do the trick too. So switch your screen to grayscale when colors are not necessary. I find colors to be overstimulating and a sneaky influencer of phone usage. I actually know this uh, as a marketer studying the effect that different colors can have on users when you design something online. And that's how I ended up kind of reverse engineering this marketing tip for higher engagement on things that I create online to remove myself and make it less engaging to interact with my phone. So when my phone display is in the boring grayscale, I found that that it's easier to stick to my original intention when I open it. So to set this up on the iPhone, you can go to general, then you can tap on accessibility, then you can tap on display. That's gonna take you to another menu where you can tap on accommodations. Next screen, you can tap on color color filters. Then toggle the color filters to turn them on and choose grayscale. Now you can go now after you after you do that you you can go back to the accessibility menu, and then scroll all the way down and tap on the accessibility shortcut, and then choose color filters. Now obviously if you're not doing this as I'm explaining it, which I hope you're not if you're running, <laughs> don't worry you can you can do this later. But this is kind of like just to plant the seed of how to do this in your phone. Now, going back to the instructions, now you can also switch back and forth between the color the color filters after you do everything that I just uh, mentioned by triple-clicking the home button. So this allows you to basically switch between color, the display, your display showing in colors and grayscale by simply triple-clicking the, the home button, which in the iPhone is that circle. Not sure how it works on the new iPhone X that doesn't have that, but I'm sure it's only a Google away to figure that out. So that's all I have for these tactics, but try them for 30 or more days and see how it works for you. Moving into the last thing for this all around is an approach for setting goals and achieving them. To do that, I'm gonna share three goal setting lessons from running 365 miles during 2017. 
It was a resolution that I set up for myself that I actually executed successfully throughout a whole year. Now, trust me, that is a very, it's very difficult to accomplish, or at least it has been for me in previous years. So like I said, I did challenge myself in 2016, running these 365 miles in 2017, and I got the idea from Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, who announced his plan to run 365 miles during 2016. So here are some suggestions to help you take a goal from just another resolution, whether it's a mid-of-the-year resolution or it's a new year resolution. But the idea is to help you make sure that it doesn't, that whatever goal you're setting for yourself doesn't fall flat and that you can actually meet it. So the first one is keep it simple. Have you ever planned, tracked, and executed a goal to completion? And I'm talking about a long, long goal, like six months or more, something that is going to take you six or more, six or more months. If not, consider limiting those, setting up those goals to only one small win. It's okay to have more than one goal throughout the year, but worst case scenario, by committing to just one of them, you will 100% at least complete one. Then the second thing that I learned through running 365 miles during one year is keep your goals flexible. So for me, running 365 miles within a year, which is only one mile per day, in my case, every time I run, I shoot it for three miles, and that left me with a lot of flexibility to miss some days without falling too far behind. Flexibility helped me stay motivated, even when I got a little off track. The next thing is keep your goals trackable. You can manage what you can track. In my case, I tracked my progress for the 365 miles in one year on a running app called RunKeeper. Monitoring my progress also inspired me to keep going throughout the year. It reminded me of the collective power of consistency over time. So remember to keep your goals simple, flexible, and trackable. Now, as we get close to wrapping up this solo round, the next section of this episode is a a series of rapid-fire questions that I usually ask my guests in the show. But this time, I'm going to be asking myself these questions to share how I work. So the first question is, uh, what's my... what's What's your morning routine like? My routine consists of waking up around four o'clock. I got the idea from the monks to prime myself really early in the morning and give myself enough time before my wife and daughter wake up to allocate time for myself to honor my body and my mind so that I can lead a satisfying and fulfilling life. Then I head to a gym and in the, in the gym, I start by running three miles on a treadmill. The treadmill has a speed between 1 to 10, and I run the 3 miles in 23 minutes by switching back and forth every minute between running at 6.5 speed and max speed. That way I'm able to push myself in those fast intervals but give myself breaks in between and get the jump faster because... The idea of running three miles was something that I got from actually running around a lake here in Seattle called Green Lake. And that's actually around three miles and it takes me around 30 minutes. So I wanted to finish that faster by taking advantage of having a treadmill pushing me harder. After I run the three miles, I like to spend at least 10 minutes meditating. I use an app called Headspace. I actually decided to invest in it 
uh, with an annual subscription because I found it to be high quality guided meditations. The guy who runs it has my major respect on what he has built. It's a great product and I highly recommend anyone who is looking into getting into meditation to check out the app, headspace.com. After I uh, do my meditation, I also practice a, as a quick session of the Wing Half Breathing Method, which I don't want to expand too much on it right now, but you may want to look into it, and it's incredible how it makes you feel. It Basically, the goal of this breathing method for me is to oxygenate my brain to really set myself up for success for success for the whole day. It really makes me feel better. So I recommend it. And finally, to end the exercising and the breathing and the meditation, I take a cold shower. The first time I tried them, I felt like, what the hell am I doing? But it was miserable. <laughs> but after a week of consistently taking cold showers, it actually, I start, it started gaining, a, I started gaining a passion for it. I actually started craving cold showers because of how they make me feel. It's just that one thing where you just get in. It's not a big deal anymore after you do it for a while. And the way it makes you feel once you get out, it makes you feel like the summer in the middle of winter. And here in Seattle, it's always cold. It makes you feel kind of like sluggish and depressed, the weather. So really for me, cold showers is a way to combat uh, that lack of sunlight, that lack of warmth in our environment. So that's pretty much my morning routine. Uh, one say uh, one word that best describes how I work: committed. Current computer, I have a MacBook Pro that is my personal computer. Current mobile device, iPhone. Apps, software, tools you can live without. I already shared one of them was the Headspace app. The other one I also think uh, I shared during this episode is the Run Keeper to track how much I run throughout the year. Uh, another app that I, I it's not that I can't live without it, but that I that I use a lot is the GPS. I would probably say those three are the, the most important top of mind right now. What everyday thing are you better at than everyone else? Something that I am think I'm really good at is at using a third eye to see myself and the world from a third perspective so that I can get a deeper understanding of how to be better by doing that. What's your workspace setup like? In my office, my workspace is highly designed. I think that's why I asked this question because that's one of my passions is to make sure that if I am going to be working in front of a computer, I set myself for a highly engaging environment uh, so that I don't feel tired and I don't like to rely on coffee to gain my energy back. So my, my workspace includes uh, standing desks that I switch uh, back and forth every between standing and sitting every 45 minutes. I also have a mini trampoline where I jump to improve the circulation of my blood probably around two two times a day. I, I jump there for like 10 minutes each session. One time, I think uh, right after lunch, another like mid-afternoon before wrapping up the day. And those were basically the, the times where I usually felt like I needed a cup of coffee. And I swapped drinking coffee by jumping on that mini trampoline. Got the idea from Tony Robbins, who uses the mini trampoline uh, before each of his uh, shows or his presentations to get himself uh, a high level of energy to make sure that he can share that with his audience. And I do the exact same thing 
to share that with my coworkers and the work that I do. Uh, what's your best time saving life hack? Well, to be honest, I think it's a being highly critical about the information that I, I no longer allow in my life by using that model that I shared with you earlier in this episode. So I really try to keep myself uh, at a minimum with how much information I, I let myself be exposed to. What's your favorite to-do list manager uh, at work? I use Trello uh, combined with a technique called Scrum. Then I also use for to-do, personal to-dos, writing it in a notebook that I always carry carry with me or in the reminders on my phone. What do you listen to while at work? I don't listen to anything. I like quiet to be able to be in a state, meditating state, fully present in what I'm doing, not getting distracted by the sound of anything. Uh, what am I currently reading? It's funny, I'm actually not currently reading any big books or anything. I know I have one uh, coming up that I'm going to be reading, which is uh, starting st- Start With Why uh, by Simon Sinek. And then right now, one thing that I do uh, as far as reading is usually when I stumble into interesting articles from whether some of the people that I subscribe to their newsletters send me or something that somebody shares, uh, I have an app that I use where I send the blog to my Kindle. So it it, it converts something that I, like a blog or an article into into a Kindle format so that I can read it in my light-free device, distraction-free device. I like to do that. And I doing so I'm doing basically currently reading a lot of things regarding the things that I'm sharing with you. Right now, most of the blogs that I'm reading about are on a, how on a, on a quest for searching how do people end up living uh, end up doing what they love. What's your sleep routine like? My sleep routine is very simple. I try to have an hour before I'm actually planning to go to bed for doing downloading, meaning I'm not working, I'm not doing anything that requires thinking. I'm trying to relax as much as possible so that I can actually go to sleep around. That for me would be nine o'clock. So usually maybe some meditation, some light reading, and then just go, go to bed. I'm not eating anything too late because that makes it harder for me to go to, to sleep. What do you do when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused? Simple. I turn everything off. I don't let it further consume me. If whatever is uh, making me f- feel unfocused or overwhelmed and I just pop up my phone and open the Headspace app and do a 10-minute meditation to calm myself down. And I also drink a tea that has kava, is a, the brand is Yogi, and kava is is a, is a root that helps helps relieve stress and it relaxes you. And it works for me. In the last three years, what have you become better at saying no to? Well, that one is probably distractions. Best advice you've ever received. Hmm. Best advice I've ever received. Hmm. Now I'm on my guest shoes, wondering what the hell am I gonna say to you. <laughs> <laughs> best advice I've ever received I would tell you most likely that the best advice I've recently stumbled upon is from Jocko he's a former Navy top official Navy SEAL he was a former Navy SEAL it's a crazy story 
the guy has been through some of the most life-threatening experiences uh, while at war, while being part of the war. And he wrote a book that I haven't read yet, but he is called Discipline Equals Freedom. And that has been something that I've been repeating to myself because it's so simple and yet it's so powerful. Discipline equals freedom. So I would say that's the best advice I've been exposed to lately. What's something that most people don't know about you? So for this one top of mind, I think something that most people don't know about me, or at least that have not hang out with me during the summer, is uh, when I was a little kid, I pulled a cord with hot water. I was around, I think, one year old, and the hot water burned half of my chest. Finally, the oh, this one is interesting. Is the three truths uh, is the question that I ask, uh, inspired by uh, one of the people that influenced me to start a podcast, Louis Howes, from the School of Greatness. Is if today was my last day on earth, or if today was your last day on earth, and everything you've created was all to disappear, but you could leave your loved ones and the world behind with three truths about life. What would those be? Whew. The first truth, I would say, we exist in this world to express our love through service. Second truth, honor your body and mind every day so you can serve others better. And the third truth for me would be discipline equals freedom. Well, and that's it. Thanks so much. Uh, this has been fun. If you get if you got to listen to this episode, this first solo run, I would highly appreciate if you can uh, let me know what you think, what you thought about it. If you have any suggestions of what would you like to, of what would you expect differently in future solo rounds, as a subscriber of this podcast, the best the best place to leave me a comment or feedback is in the show notes of this episode in the comment section at the bottom of the the post. Thanks so much. And that was my first solo round. A couple of quick announcements before you leave. For reference, you can access the episode's notes alongside some of the things that I mentioned today at bit.ly slash BTS solo one. Again, that's bit.ly slash BTS solo one. Finally, if you enjoy listening to this episode, the best way to support me on this podcast is by leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in and remember to live a life that moves you.